morning, church. Thank you so much, Pastor. Thank you so much for for your prayers. And um, I do want to say um, a few words before I jump into the message for today. Um, you know, I will be transitioning out of my role here as the college and young adult pastor. Um, and I'm actually going to be a, a campus pastor at Point Loma, um, specifically um, focusing on border engagement issues. And um, next Sunday, like Pastor Gordon said, will be my last Sunday on staff. Um, and like I said, I'm not planning my own, my own uh, <laughs> a reception, so I don't know exactly. I think it's after the service. But... Um, even, even though um, no transition is ever easy, um, we are so glad that our family will be able to continue being a part of this church. Um, I've personally been attending Mission Church for 10 years, um, and I've been on staff for seven of those years. And these have been very, very formative years in my own life, and Mission Church has been my home, my family, through some of the most significant moments that I've had. Um, I came to Mission Church because a family friend invited me, and uh, I immediately got connected and involved in the college ministry at that time. Um, I later, a couple years later, became a college intern, Um, and after a pastoral transition that happened, um, I took on the college ministry director role, Um, and this actually was my first ministry, official ministry role that I ever held. When my um, uh, prima Lina, whom I live with, and was, she was like a sister to me, um, passed away unexpectedly and suddenly, um, this church surrounded me and loved me and cared for me and helped me process through that loss and that grief and really experience healing through that. Soon after coming on staff, we were given the opportunity to start a young adult-led evening service. Some of you remember that, called In Common. Um, And this is where I first got to practice and develop my preaching and, um, uh, you know, my my preaching and teaching on a a weekly basis, which was uh, really, really helpful and formative. My wife, Lauren, and I, we met here at this church. And, um, you know, we were part of a community together that we're still part of, and uh, we were married in 2019. While I was on staff, I was um, also able to complete a master's in Christian ministry. Um, I was ordained last year as an elder in the Church of the Nazarene. Um, Our daughter, Mariana, was born last June and was dedicated by Pastor Gordon uh, in November in front of all of you. All this to say that my time on staff here has not only been a job or or even just a ministry for me. This is my home, and you are my family. So I just want to say thank you. Thank you for believing in me, for trusting me, um, for your constant prayers, for your encouragement, for your friendship, for your invitations to meals that we've had together for the mentorship that I've received from uh, many of you, for the ways that you've celebrated me and my family and our accomplishments, supported us through our marriage, through the birth of Mariana, the ways you've supported me when I was grieving, when I had my car accident, for instance, 
Um, when things at mission were incredibly hard. Through it all, you have loved me and cared for my family and for me in a way that only a true family does and a true family can, and I will forever be grateful. I love you, Mission Church. Speaking of difficult transitions, let's try to shift in today's sermon. Um, let's, uh, so there's a few, very few people in the New Testament for whom we get a complete character arc. Um, since Advent, we've been going through, and Advent and Lent, we've been going through a, a series called Journeying with Jesus. We've been following Jesus around and uh, seeing his life, death, and resurrection. Um, we also know a great deal about Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul, who wrote a good part of the New Testament, giving us many details into his life. But probably one of the most dramatic stories we have in the New Testament is that of Peter. Because Peter's life is full of twists and turns, and it's one that I think many of us can relate to at different stages in our own life. Um, but this story of Peter is an encouraging one to me because it's not a neat and clean story of a man who gradually just grows in his faith and his spiritual maturity until he's taken into the clouds in glory. No, the story of Peter is real, and it's raw, and I think because of that is it's relatable. So today I'm going to take us through some important moments in the life of Peter, and I'm going to ask three things of you. Number one, as we explore his life, try to put yourself in Peter's shoes, in his position. Think about what could have been going through your mind, the things that you've been, you might be experiencing and um, feeling in these specific moments. Number two, pay attention to how each of these moments connect to each other, how these stories are intertwined to one another. And number three, I'm going to just ask you to try really hard to stay awake. Um, We'll be doing a lot of scripture reading, and I know sometimes when we read a lot, um, it's easy to kind of just lose attention and lose focus, but I really don't want to lose you because this is important. All right, let's jump in. John 1, 35. The next day, John the Baptist was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah. That is the Christ. And he had brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter, which most of us know is, means rock. Now, unless you're Jesus, it's probably not a good idea to start renaming people when you first meet them. But notice here that Jesus does not necessarily call Peter to follow him at this instant. That actually happens a little bit later. Let's jump to Luke 5. One day... As Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him, listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats 
left there by the fishermen who were fishing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked them to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night. We haven't caught anything. But because you say so, we'll let down our nets. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore. They left everything and they followed him. This is the moment right here where everything changed for Peter. He begins this process of transformation and growth as he follows Jesus. He witnesses, if we continue reading, we don't have the time, but many signs, many miracles. Jesus heals Peter's own mother-in-law. Peter helps during the miraculous feeding of the, of the 5,000. He's serving the fish and the bread. Peter then begins to participate, right, in the ministry of Jesus. And yeah, he's having a, a few stumbles along the way, but for the most part, Peter's a great asset to Jesus' ministry. He must have thought, man, this is what it's all about. Peter's life right now is full of purpose. He has leadership. He feels alive and on mission, on purpose, in a way that fishing was never able to really give him. At one point, he goes up to the mountaintop with Jesus, where he witnesses this scene that we know as the transfiguration, where Jesus is kind of glowing and alongside him appear Moses and Elijah. And then a voice from heaven declares, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Peter saw and experienced Jesus at such a close and intimate level during this time of his life that at one point when Jesus asked his disciples in Matthew 16, who do you say that I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied to Peter, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the, key, the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you lose on earth will be loosed in heaven." What an amazing thing to have heard these words spoken to you by Jesus. Can you imagine how Peter is feeling in this moment? 
But the thing is that if we keep reading, and I know that's not up there, but if we keep reading right after this, verse 21, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things at the hands of the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed. And on the third day, he be raised to life. Peter then took him aside. And he began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned to Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have the mind in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Poor Peter. He goes from church rock to stumbling block real quick. Now, let's um, head over to Luke 22. As Jesus is approaching his final few hours, we know that Jesus serves his disciples dinner. And he says something very interesting to Peter here. Luke 22, 31. He says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. In another account, he says, even if all fall away, I never will, Jesus. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. Deny three times that you know me. Jesus is then, we know the story, arrested. Peter tries to protect Jesus through violence, but Jesus stops him. We skip down to verse 54, that same chapter. Then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, This man was with him. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, You are also one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, Certainly this man was, one, was with him. He is a Galilean. Peter replied, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Now take a moment to picture yourself as Peter. Put yourself in Peter's position. You just deny Jesus for the third time. You hear the rooster crow. And Jesus is looking straight at you. What is the expression on his face? What is the look he's giving you? Is it disappointment? Anger? Sadness? 
Is it compassion and love? And what does that say about how we view Jesus, our understanding of who he is? Then Peter remembered the word. I'm keep, keep reading. The word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. In that moment, Peter's life came crumbling down. This Jesus, who Peter was almost certain was the Messiah, who he'd bet his whole life on this. Peter had left everything to follow him, his job, his identity, his source of livelihood, his reputation. But now Jesus had been arrested. He was being tried and most likely would be executed. Everyone else has scattered And now Peter, who in his own words was willing to die with him, had denied him not once, not twice, but three times in a span of a couple hours. Just as Jesus had predicted he would. Can you feel the weight of Peter's utter disappointment, failure, loss? So he went outside. And he wept bitterly. Jesus is then beaten, violently humiliated, crucified. He's buried and his grave secured with a large stone. We pick up in the Gospel of John, chapter 20. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. She came running to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, thanks for the clarification, John, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started to started for the tomb and they were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. So John here makes it a point to tell us that he was faster than Peter. It must have been all that Jesus love he was full of made them a little faster, but they entered the tomb, found Jesus' burial linen and cloth, but not Jesus. Verse 19. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for the fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and the side. And the disciples were overjoyed when they, when they saw the Lord. Can you imagine how Peter must have felt in this moment? Jesus is alive. He truly was and is the Messiah. He really is the Son of God. Not the grave, not even death itself could hold him. But Peter, Peter, after assuring Jesus he would never leave him, He would never abandon him. He was willing to die with him when it came to it, had denied him three times. Peter knew that there was a reckoning that needed to happen. What could possibly be waiting for him from the Son of God after this utter failure? So with this weight of deep shame and fear and disappointment looming Over him, we read where Peter goes, John 21. 
Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. Notice, Peter is going back to fishing, to the one thing he knows, the thing he returns to when the going gets rough, his false source of identity and security. So they went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. He called out to them, Friends, do you have any fish? No, they answered. He said, Throw your nets on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Notice how Jesus here is recreating a scene for Peter. The same beach, the same request, the same miracle as when Peter first decided to follow Jesus. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, yes, thank you, John, said to Peter, It is the Lord! As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garments around him, for he had taken it off. He jumped into the water. He, um, the other disciples, followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw fire burning coals there with fish on it. And some bread. Again, Jesus is recreating another scene for Peter. The night when, Peter, when Jesus had been arrested, it was being tried. Peter was warming himself around the fire. So now Peter sees the fire, smells the burning coals, and is immediately transported to the night of his betrayal. When he's locking eyes with Jesus. And that rooster crows. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. Simon Peter climbed back into the boat, dragged the net ashore, and it was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn from. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them, and he did the same with the fish. Have you ever wondered if the resurrected Savior of the world was a good cook? I have. I like to think he wasn't. He was good at other things, um, like carpentry, right? Like healing the sick, like preaching. Um, but maybe, maybe just not cooking. I mean, fish for breakfast? I don't know. Um, it makes me feel a little bit better to think that he wasn't that great of a cook. Um, but he probably was. Um, this was now the third time that Jesus appeared to his disciples after he had been raised from the dead, it says. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? What these? More than these fish? More than this job that has become this identity you've constructed? More than what you return to when crisis hits, when you're disappointed, when you're ashamed and doubting? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Notice he calls him Simon and not Peter here. He answered, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. 
The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now once again, stop for a moment and put yourself in Peter's place. As Jesus looks at you and he asks you this for the third time, what is the expression on Jesus' face? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him for the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Three times Peter denied Jesus around the fire. Three times Jesus asked him the same question around the fire, do you love me? This is the way in which Jesus chooses to reinstate Peter by carefully recreating for him two of Peter's life-changing moments. One when he chooses to abandon everything to follow Jesus, and the other when he abandons and denies the only one who had never failed him. But here comes Jesus, reaching out to Peter, not with condemnation, not with disappointment, but with breakfast, with a smile on his face and love in his eyes. And in that moment, Peter gets it. What he's believed about Jesus, what he's seen Jesus do, everything he's experienced by being close to him, finally makes his way deep into the depths of his soul. And in that moment, he truly knows the depths of Christ's love, not only for the world, not only for his church, but for him, for Simon Peter, the fisherman, whose life was far from perfect, full of some incredible highs and some devastating lows. lows. But what I love about the the Peter story is that it's not a linear progression of upward mobility and spiritual victory, right? It's messy. It's ups, ups and downs. It's an encounter that leads to full surrender, a change of life, spiritual growth, purpose, fulfillment, but then completely missing the point and needing rebuke. A literal mountaintop experience at the transfiguration, but then um, failure, betrayal, disappointment. After the resurrection is amazement and excitement, but then also fear and shame and self-doubt, which leads him back to fishing until this moment of reconciliation, restoration, and reinstitution. In that moment, Peter truly experiences the resurrection of Jesus in his own life. Many of you joined us for our memorial service on Good Friday, um, memorial service for Jesus of Nazareth. And even more of you were here for the most incredible Easter resurrection service that I've ever experienced in my life. It was amazing. We got to um, partner and host um, the San Diego Rescue Mission and um, baptize some of our sisters and brothers. And in both of these sermons, we heard some powerful stories of Jesus just breaking into utter darkness and taking a hold of individuals, saving, restoring, transforming lives that were lost and had been found. And what was intriguing to me was that how many people shared about their life and their walk with God, their walk with Jesus, and how that was a process, a journey for them. Some growing up in the church and knowing about God, some having an encounter or even a relationship with Jesus, but then crisis hit. 
They experienced hurt and trauma and deep loss, which led to falling back, to isolation, to medicating in order to just numb the pain, to running back to a habit, to an identity, to a toxic relationship that would produce some sort of false security, just like Peter, just like you, just like me. We've all experienced these moments in our own life. Moments where our whole world is shaken, with everything we thought we knew, it's flipped on its head. My story, my own story, has many of these moments. Growing up in the church, deciding to follow Jesus at a young age, but as a young adult, being allured by the pleasures and the pressures of the world. Popularity, sensuality, partying, alcohol, falling into a double life of partying hard on the weekends, but then being at church on Sunday. Sometimes even here on the worship team. Until I had a real encounter with Jesus where his grace, in his grace he confronted me with the reality of my sin and my brokenness. But also, and more importantly, with the depth of his love and pursuit for me. As I surrendered my life to him and he then called me into ministry, which was not easy. I fought it for a while, but he waited patiently for me to respond to his call. And I have since lived into this call, first as a follower, as a disciple of Jesus, but also as a minister of the gospel. And I love to say that this has been nothing but victory and growth and spiritual breakthrough at every point, but it hasn't. I've experienced moments of crisis. I've been broken down many times, experienced great disappointment. I've been hurt by people in the church. I've caused pain to people that I love. I've had anger against God, frustration. I've wrestled with deep doubt. I've deconstructed and reconstructed many aspects of my life with God again and again. I've ran, away, I've ran back to the habits, to the coping mechanisms, to numb the pain, to create some sort of immediate but only momentary comfort. Like Peter, I've betrayed Jesus, betrayed others, betrayed myself. But at every point, Jesus has been the one that's come looking for me. He has not abandoned me in my shame and my self-pity. He has lovingly, sometimes gently, sometimes not so gently, but always faithfully come back to pick me up from my shame and my muck. Have I received answers to all my questions? No. Have I gotten a detailed and satisfactory sometimes explanation to every hurt and loss that I've experienced or have seen? No. Has he answered every prayer in the ways I wish he would? No. But at every point, he has shown up and he sought me out. Like that good shepherd that searches for his wounded sheep who has wandered from the flock. When he's found it, he's tended its wounds, put it on his shoulders and brought it back home. He has demonstrated how much value and worth I have to him, not because of who I am, not because of anything I can do for him, but simply because of the depth of his unconditional, everlasting, and absolutely relentless love for me. You see, this is not the end of Peter's story. At Dish.com, we've been reading through Luke, and we are just finishing the book of Acts this week. And one of the amazing things we see is this transformation that Peter experiences, right? After Jesus reinstates him and this uh, passage that we just read, and he starts living into his calling and identity. 
When the Holy Spirit arrives on the day of Pentecost, it's Peter who stands up. He's the one that delivers a bold and powerful message to the crowds about Jesus of Nazareth and the Holy Spirit pouring out on um, all people. People, uh, Peter then goes and becomes a leader in the early church. Signs and wonders begin to follow him. Miraculous healings. But then he's also arrested. He's also flogged. He's also imprisoned for preaching the gospel. When he's questioned by the authorities, this time he doesn't fold. This time he doesn't deny. This time he unashamedly confesses that Jesus is Lord. It's Peter who then the Lord sends to preach the gospel and baptize even Gentiles. People like you and me. Peter continues to have ups and downs in his life. At one point, Paul actually has to call him out. He's being a little biased and exclusive in who he chooses to relate to. But through it all, he was able to cling on to the call of Jesus, to be a rock, to feed his sheep, to suffer with Christ, to deny himself, take up his cross daily, and to follow Jesus. See, like Peter... Our walk with Jesus is not one that's free from suffering. No, actually suffering is guaranteed. Crisis will come. Sometimes doubt will feel overwhelming. We won't always get satisfying answers to all of our deep questions. And maybe that's where you are today. Maybe you've walked with Jesus for a while. You've experienced his love and his grace. But right now... You are barely clinging on to whatever bit of hope you have left because of crisis, because of hurt, because of loss, or simply because the pressures and pleasures of the world are too alluring, too powerful. Maybe you've gone back to the habits of medicating and coping that draw you away from your dependence on him. But Jesus continues to relentlessly pursue you. He has defeated sin and death itself and has made his way to you, not to shame you, not to condemn you, but to bring you back home to him. As one of my final words, as one of the pastors here, is family, don't lose hope. Keep on keeping on. This is not, your, this is not the end. Your failure, your doubt, your sin, your shame does not define you does not disqualify you. That is what the enemy wants you to believe, but that is a lie, and the lie has no power over you unless you believe it. Jesus defeated the enemy at the resurrection, and he is alive, and Jesus today is standing at the shore with breakfast, full of grace and forgiveness with his arms extended, calling you back to him to come home, to come and to fully know the depths of his unfailing love for you, like he knows for me and for all of us who are here, to receive his identity as a daughter, as a son of the living God whom he loves, with whom he is well pleased. If that's you, would you pray for me? Would you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you for your unfailing love for us. You know that our life is difficult and that suffering is real. That doubt and shame can feel overwhelming. Like Peter, our life is a mix of ups and downs, of faithfulness and failure. 
of mountaintops and valley lows. But you, Jesus, you remain constant. Your love for us never changes. It never fails. We choose today to surrender to your love. Maybe for the first time, or maybe once again. Jesus, we come home to you. We make our home in you. May our lives be secure in you. And we may live into our identity and our call to follow you. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus, who is alive today and forever. The one we will spend the rest of eternity with. In your name, amen. Thank you, church.